What is up? What is going on, David SVA Card Collectors? Today, I'll be doing an interview. Oh, an interview, you say, Dave? Yes, I'll be doing an interview. Uh, the old sports card investor, the world famous sports card investor. He's been blazing a trail. He started after me, and he's got about 50 times the amount of views not bitter at all no no <laughs> had a really good time talking to him asked him a bunch of questions a lot of questions that people had thought in their brains that they wanted to ask i asked so without further ado here comes the interview all right i am here with the sports card investor. How are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Not a problem. All right. Um, I know a little bit about you because I've been watching you around, but um, some people who are just listening to you for the first time, just how did you get started and uh, what have you been up to? Sure, yeah. Well, I got back into the hobby um, about a year and a half ago and uh, instantly got hooked again, just like I was as a kid. I was, of course, a big collector as a kid, like a lot of people are. And But as I got back in the hobby this time, I couldn't help but notice the business and investment potential that the hobby had. They, the card manufacturers have made so many smart changes to the way that they produce the cards since the time when I was you know, collecting as a kid. You know, Things like serial numbered cards and autograph cards. Um, you know, naturally build in different different scarcity and all of the different variations. And then grading is obviously a huge thing now as well that helps build in scarcity and ensure the quality of the product. Um, and, and the liquidity, which didn't exist back then. You know, obviously sites like eBay where you can flip cards or ComC and it makes it possible for you to do that or StockX. None of that existed many years ago. So I saw it this time around and I said, man, this is a totally different ballgame. And I got really excited about it. I got really deep into it. And uh, I started uh, putting out investment content because I saw a lack of it in the space. Now, when you first started getting in, did you go for boxes and start opening up packs and start going nuts? Or did you start, were you already in the mind of, all right, let me pick, pick and choose the cards that I want to get? Well, at first, sure. At first, I was trying to just get a sense of what it was all about. And of course, getting back into the hobby now versus when you were a kid there's so many more different types of sets and different types of you know refractors and it's it's almost overwhelming and so i think honestly one of the best ways to learn it is to start to buy some product and start to buy some wax and rip it open also watching online card breaks is a great way to really learn about the different products because you see those card breakers open up so many different you know boxes and types of products in such a short period of time um but yeah, so I did some box, you know, opening at first, uh, you know, but from as I got more into the investment side, um, I quickly figured out that if you're if you're approaching it from an investment standpoint, opening boxes is not a good strategy. Um, you know, that's opening boxes is fun, uh, but it's gambling and it's um, and it's much like going to Vegas and putting money in a slot machine. It's a gamble that most of the time is not going to pay off, and occasionally will hit you know a big jackpot pull. Um, but overall, it's generally not a great idea. Um, you're better off buying individual player cards and you're better off buying them ideally graded 
um, and uh, holding on to them from an investment standpoint. Um, or if you're going to buy boxes, keeping them sealed, that's become popular now, certainly buying sealed wax and keeping it sealed and then reselling it as sealed. So that's where I spend uh, most of my efforts today, particularly on the player side. Now, do you, that's one of the questions I was going to ask. I know you focus more on graded cards. Um, have you been stocking any wax, well, hobby, retail, blasters, sealed, you know, boxes and putting them under your bed? Because I know I tried it and then they look at me, they stare at me and it's, <laughs> you open them. It's done. They're, they're done. I start opening them up and then I go, God damn, why did I, every single time I go, why? I knew this was going to happen. So do you have like a vault or a place to hide them? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do have several unopened seal cases in my closet, um, and they're just going to stay there uh, in 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 my basement uh, for for some period of time. Um, you know, but it's hard right now. It's hard to get uh, basketball at a good enough price point. Where, in my opinion, holding makes a lot of sense. Like, I, if you can get it, if you, you know, if you got an early and you were able to get, you know, certainly Prism retail, um, if you were, you know, able to pay retail prices, or if you were friends with a hobby shop owner and you were actually to get, be able to get Prism at hobby shop prices, at, at actual suggested retail prices without the, the markup, sure, then you're going to do well by reselling it. But, but the, the challenge is that now a lot of the new products are, are hitting the market. And they're already marked up. You know, they the, particularly in hobby shops and online retailers, they're already marked up far beyond the manufacturer's suggested retail price. So, um, the price that you're buying sealed wax at today often kind of re already reflects the market value of where guys like Zion and Jaw are today. And so, the challenge is you really got to see those guys go up further for that wax to continue to go up further. And I, I, at this moment in time, I am not optimistic about that. I think that Jaw and Zion are overpriced. Uh, and I do think their prices are going to soften. I think we're going to see them uh, as we get towards the playoffs. I think we're going to see prices begin to fall um, because neither of them are uh, going to make much of a playoff run this year, most likely. Um, and so I think that we're going to see um, prices fall and then probably uh, over the off season remain kind of soft. So. I'm not a huge fan of buying sealed wax, um, but it is it is a strategy that can be a good one at times. Yeah, I I tend to agree, especially this year. I agree. Um, if you're able to go to to your Target or Walmart and you're able to pick up an optic or a prism for twenty bucks, you know that's that's the way to go. But even my candy shop, I mean that guy, he's he's marking it up. You know, I, I can't get a card. Uh, you know, whole, I'm I'm buying candy and a forty dollar blaster. Yeah, because he knows because he, ch he checks eBay and he goes, dude, I can sell it on eBay all day long. So yeah, it, it's tough. I, so that's, I, that's, it's the, that's the problem. If you're going to buy it at that price, then you're, you know, you're, you're getting a markup on top of that's going to become a lot more difficult. Definitely. Um, all right. I wanted to ask you, I hear, you know, what type of I'm going to get a little personal. What type of businesses are you like general industries and things like that? Are you, are you in? Yeah. So I'm a tech entrepreneur and investor. So I've started um, a number of tech companies. Um, the uh, company that I kind of run day to day is a company called three, five, two. We are a innovation and growth firm. We do a lot of digital work for large companies um, from innovation consulting to um, 
to uh, website and software development to growth marketing. And then I also, I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm a mentor at Atlanta Tech Village, and I've been involved in some of the other programs like Techstars in the past. And so I invest in some of the startup companies that are um, in those types of places. So I can see where your mind went when you saw baseball cards. Exactly. Uh, you just you have the same dealers who are breathing heavy and hardly fit on it who can hardly fit on one chair. <laughs> yeah. And now you're coming in with uh, with these uh, you know gadgets gadgets. That's basically what they would call them. Um, you know, spitting out data and things like that that not everyone has been uh, working with. Um, I know you have a new tool that you um, have developed. Uh, maybe you could just talk a little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I started my uh, YouTube channel about seven months ago and started putting out a video a week about sports card investing. And I wanted to take a data-driven approach. I wanted to take an approach where I talked about the numbers, where I talked about uh, what cards were actually doing in terms of dollars and cents, the ones that were going up, ones that were going down, talk about population reports, um, and talk about statistics of players and how they, you know, looking at certain statistics might be an early indicator of card prices. I did some comparison of like fantasy football rankings and projections to card prices. So I've done a lot of different episodes where I've tried to kind of mash together different data sources to predict um, what cards could do. And then I would pick cards and say, hey, here's a card I think you should buy and, and here's why. Um, and my, my picks have done very well. Uh, thankfully, I, I went back and looked at all of my basketball picks from last summer before the season started. And as of uh, February, as of now, they're up um, well over 70%. They're up almost 80%. So I, I've had some success certainly doing picks like that. And as the show went on and the show, the YouTube show Sports Card Investor got more popular, I decided, you know what, I, I need more data. I want more I want there to be better tools that can give sports card investors such as myself a, a better look at the market, a better look at the up and down movements of cards. And everything out there was, in my opinion, fairly rudimentary. And there was opportunity to develop a really cool tool that would be a, a price guide, a, an intelligent system, a, you know, a way to really give you a full understanding of the market like nothing else that had existed. And so I built it and it's called Market Movers. And I just released it to the public last week. I've been using it for the last month, pulling data from it for, for my shows on YouTube. So people who are watching me on YouTube are seeing, you know, little clips of Market Movers and a lot of the data that I'm talking about is coming from my Market Movers tool. Um, so that launched a week ago. I've got um, 250 users as of today, uh, which I'm really excited about. That's a great uh, uptake for the first week. And uh, excited to see where it goes. That sounds. I I was using my the biggest thing I was using was PWCC and their market research tool. Um, previous, well, not anymore, but I was previously, and uh, that was giving me some data, and I was able to use some of PSA, you know, pop reports, um, also also those auction results as well. Are you pulling everything just from eBay? Or are you pulling it from other data you know, sources? Yeah, everything's coming from eBay currently. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're doing a lot of you know, analysis of that data. Yeah, PWCC, that is also the tool that I used to use to look up card prices. Um, and, but you know, honestly, it's, it's a very basic tool. It's type in a query, get results. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's no charting. There's no graphing. And and the the worst part about it, the most challenging part about it is that you could type in a query and then you're going to get cards back which don't match the card you're trying to find you know and and so you can't use it to create any type of graph or like consistent understanding of the market if every time you do a search you're getting results back that don't really match the search and that's just the very nature of ebay the challenge is that ebay is an unstructured uh data source essentially it's basically like a classified listing service so people can put whatever they want in the title so someone may be selling a raw card and then they're going to put psa 10 or psa 10 question mark in the title or they're going to be or they're going to not psa 10. someone's going to sell a prism base card and in the title they're going to put silver just to get you to look at it or they're going to put base silver or they're going to put not silver or non-silver and the problem is if you're now going on a pwcc and you're searching for prism silver psa 10 you're getting a flood of results that are not silver and that are not PSA 10 because of how people have set up their titles. So I built the first tool in the history of the hobby that is intelligent enough to screen all of those listings out. It uses it uses artificial intelligence to be able to detect what listings are real and which ones are not. And the ones that don't actually match what you're looking for gets rid of them. So every time you come into my tool and you you call up a chart, the data is clean and it's pure, and you're looking at what you think you're looking at. That's that is exactly one of the biggest things because I used to do it, and I, I know you spoke about this. I used to do it by hand, and I would put it in the Excel spreadsheet, and I would look and I would go, "Oh, this guy put it's non." So you know, I, I so I get where you where you're, you're coming from on that. And the worst part is when people do that on eBay, they don't realize that if someone is searching for a silver and they see that card and it says not silver or whatever the case it's not what they're looking for it's going to rank them lower on ebay so they're actually hurting themselves trying to um you know trying to trick ebay um yeah but i like you know all that that sounds really really good the do you store can you store the cards that you have or save cards that you have on your uh market research thing or no not right now, but that's a tool that we definitely want to build into it in the future. We, we, um, I had a first my first live stream with folks who had signed up for the tool a few days ago, and and I I asked them for ideas, and I said, hey, what do you want us to build next into this? Because one of the one of the um, things that I really want Market Movers to be is a platform that continues to grow and evolve to best meet the needs of sports card investors. And one of the things that several people suggested was it'd be cool if I could put my collection in there and then it could help get me kind of a real-time price value of you know the cards in my collection. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, so it's on a roadmap. It's on a roadmap. Um, it's something that we'll definitely tackle in the uh, upcoming few months. Now I know, and I have to say this because a couple of people have have asked, have, have talked about it. Um, some of the, pr- the the pricing that you have for um, this tool seems a, one part was a little high, and and I, I, people ask me like, why why would it be so much money? I go, well, I'm sure you spent a lot of time and money on creating this, correct? I did. And I saw all those comments. Yeah, I saw those comments and I appreciate, I under, I understand that the, yes. that I, 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 you know, some people are definitely upset and have strong opinions about the pricing. So look, here's the angle I'm going out with this. I, yeah, first of all, obviously I did put a ton of money into it. There's a lot of investment in it, but second of all, it's my mission to make the product be able to return a positive return on investment for everybody who subscribes to it. The next feature that I'm building in 
is a feature that's going to scour the current listings on eBay and compare the current listings to the current pricing of those items based on recent sales and then identify listings that are potentially under value. Um, you know, if you've got to buy it now, that's been sitting on eBay, you know, at $199 for the last uh, of Michael Porter Jr. for the last uh, couple of months. And then, you know, the person with the listing didn't notice that Michael Porter Jr.'s cards have been on a tear and, you know, maybe his his prisms over at PSA 10s have now broken 200 and are going up from there. And this card's still sitting there for 199 Well, wouldn't you like to know that? But right now it's just buried somewhere in the eBay search results. But what if I could actually expose that listing to you because I know that you are buying Michael Porter Jr. cards? What if I could actually email you and say, hey, alert. I just found a Michael, you know, Michael Porter Jr. on eBay that's undervalued. I know you're buying Michael Porter Jr. cards. Here's one to get. That's the type of stuff that I'm going to continue to build into my software. And so I had to charge a bit of a premium because I, you know, the 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 money needs to be there to continue to fuel the growth of the product. And ultimately, if I can be successful at building tools like that in, it's going to make the it's going to it's going to provide everybody with a positive ROI and experience. So, sounds fair. I, I just, I know the hobby, you know, and I know they're cheap when it comes to everything outside of cards, they're cheap. But with what you're giving and what you're trying to add, um, I can see if someone is spending, maybe if you're not spending a hundred bucks, but if you're spending thousands of dollars, um, yeah, I can see how you can benefit from this tool. And I feel that you're using, it sounds like a lot of the things from Amazon. There's a lot of uh, Amazon sellers and, and, and flippers and things like that. And they have the same type of tools that you're talking about, but it's like we're reselling products where it scours Amazon or scours different websites to try to find a cheaper product. And it's somewhat what you're bringing over to uh, the baseball card world. I don't know if you know or not. I have no idea, but um, that it, it sounds, sounds really interesting. I, I like it. I, I'm, I like data. I like using that. You know, I, I was always trying to, like I said, I would use the PWCC, I would use the pop reports, and I would try to figure out, you know, what was the defining, you know, data point that was bringing this card price up or down. And it just, you can try, you can sort of figure it out, but not really. You can never pinpoint it. So um, the more data points, the better. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like um, okay. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Now, I'm going to just talk about the hobby in general and go a little bit, you know, people people like uh, controversies and things like that. They get all excited, you know. It moves down there a little bit when they hear this stuff. But, <laughs> um, PSA. Uh, you, you've been following, I'm assuming, the PSA, PWCC, trimming scandals and things like that. I've Yeah, sure. I've seen, you know, forum posts about it and all that type of thing. Do you have any concerns? With regards to PSA, I here's what here's my thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. It is not making any difference. Like it, the PSA is grading more cards than they've ever graded before. PSA cards are selling for more money than they've ever sold for before. People are buying greater graded cards at a higher volume than they've ever bought them before. It hasn't slowed the business down. Um, nor has it. Nor nor has it for Beckett and BGS. Um, and so. You know, I, I, I obviously I don't know what happened. Obviously, there's some people on the forums who have very clearly exposed that PSA, you know, graded cards 
that um, you know should not have been graded that were obviously altered through whether it be trimming or the patches being replaced, et cetera. So, I mean, there's no question that PSA screwed up and there's no question that BGS screwed up uh, by letting those cards through. In terms of you know the connection with PWCC and some of the more nefarious stuff, some of the rumors about you know people getting more black labels from BGS or, or whatever that may be. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like it's it, people are alleging that. Some people have some evidence on that. That that may be the case. I don't, I don't know. Um, it sounds really bad. It 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 doesn't look good. Uh, it it's something that absolutely they need to clean up if any of that crap is going on. But um, again, it, it, graded cars are everything and it's not slowing it down. So honestly, my opinion on it is it doesn't really matter from an investment standpoint, unless something actually gets to the point where like something actually happens to one of those companies or the market starts to respond in a very negative way, which right now the market has not responded in a negative way. So take that for what it's worth. That's just, I, I'm not, I'm not endorsing it i'm not saying it's okay um it's just i'm just being very factual looking at the market and saying the market isn't really responding to this you sound exactly like me because it's exactly what i well i i'm a little more flam, flamboyant i shouldn't say that i'm not flamboyant um i'm a little more outspoken I, I think there is a little bit more nefarious things to it but um nobody cares um, i mean i think it actually drew more attention to PSA, and it was like the old adage, you know, well, I don't even know how to say uh, bad publicity is, is still good publicity because they are doing crazy good PSA. And, yeah. um, you know, I basically said nobody cares. People care. They want to complain about it. Uh, those blowout forms, I actually read some of them. Those guys did amazing work. They did. They were they did. to find the raw card. How do you find a raw card that they graded and then they saw that they how they cut it up and I mean it was just they should they should be looking for Hillary's emails. These guys are amazing. So I, I'm I have more faith in them than anything. But you're right, it, it it hasn't affected it at all. And so I never really heard you ever talk about it too much. Uh, that's why. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't talked about it a lot. Just and I, I, it's not that I you know am afraid to talk about it or want to stay away from it. It's just, again, I just haven't seen it had much impact. So if it starts having an impact, I'll, uh, you know, in terms of the prices, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it all the time. Um, but it, it, it just hasn't. So, you know, yeah, take that for, take that for what it's worth. Yeah. I think in the vintage world, it's something to be reckoned with because it just seems like there's a ton of cards. And I do know that the newer cards and also, switching of the jerseys and things like that that's been happening but it seems like the vintage cards there's just so many that have been trimmed or, or, or doctored and i'm just surprised that psa or bgs hasn't been able to figure it out or you know or you know i don't know it it seems to me that they really don't they're just yeah we'll try harder next time to me but um and but i would be too if no one's doing anything about it if if my, if my sales were doubling because of it I wouldn't really care either. So I can't blame you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically but, but I mean, I, I hope they do, you know, did, regardless of what's happening with the card prices, I hope they clean this stuff up because the hobby needs grading sports card investing 
depends on grading. So I really hope they clean it up. I hope PSA tightens up their practices. I hope EGS tightens up their practices. And I hope they get better measures in place to protect against this type of stuff from happening in the future. Yeah, it's funny. I, I remember when I was a kid and people, they used to have graded cards. And I would look, who's going to pay triple the amount for a stupid graded card? What a bunch of idiots. I, I remember. I remember as a kid walking around and going, why are you getting graded? It's so stupid. I can get it for like five bucks. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> completely changed how, like, well, 25, 30 years, how things have changed. Um, well, especially with, you know, now with, with, you know, being able to buy and sell so much online, um, you know, graded cards is just a consistency of quality when you're making a purchase online that you otherwise would never be able to get. I mean, no matter how good somebody's scan is of a raw card, you, you know, you can't tell if there's a little surface scratch or some sort of little imperfection that the scanner is just missing, uh, which happens all the time. And so, you know, but the graded, you know, graded at least provides that sense of quality. Yeah, no, I understand why they do it now. I mean, we need it. You, you definitely need it now. There's too many people out there. And, and I, I'm sure PSA is catching, you know, a large majority of cards that, you know, have been messed with and things like that. Um, it's just how how much the hobby has changed from you know from graded to being so important to back in the day no one even caring just looking yep. and saying it's just, it's just stupid you're wasting your time so it's yep. just funny that um gonna change gears a little bit because that's what i do um a lot of the cards that you talk about and i know you had one episode that was about this but you're starting off you just you're getting in you like basketball um you got 50 100 bucks what am i doing with this how what what should i do uh i would not buy zion (laughs) (laughs) not right now not at his current prices i mean i know the guy's awesome but you know i i just as i said i just think i think we're at a peak i think that's um, you know, I think, I think you're, you're better off putting your money in the stars of some of the previous years. Uh, I mean, you know, whether you want to look to look at Luca or Trey, I mean, I think in terms of a long-term investment, I think Trey young is undervalued compared to where his cards could go. So that's somewhere that I would look, um, it, it depends, you know, what you're going for. If there's obviously different categories of, of card investing, do, do you want to do more of kind of the short-term speculatory, in which case, honestly, I think there's a lot of good investment potential in all of the rookies in this year's class, not named Zion and Jaw. Um, you know, they've been totally overshadowed by Zion and Jaw, and all of their card prices are weak in comparison to Zion and Jaw. And we are certain to have a few of those guys break out next year and become quite valuable the same way that this year we saw it with like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Michael Porter Jr., um, who have kind of come on the scene and have seen their prices go up uh, considerably over the course of this season. Next year, that's going to happen with some of the guys as well, whether it's you know Tyler Hero or whoever it's going to be. Um, so uh, uh, I, I would I would I would look to some of the secondary rookies in this year's class if you want to do that if you want to play that way. If you want to go for um, more of a longer term bet, as I said, I like I like a guy like Trey Young. Um, or you can go the route of, of you know, trying to own some cards of an all-time great um, and looking for, you know, cards from a Giannis or cards from a LeBron or somebody like that. And granted, you're not going to get their premier rookie cards for 50 to 100 bucks, 
But there are some cards you can buy. I mean, over the summer, I bought a bunch of Giannis um, hoops, NBA hoops rookie cards um, at the National. Um, and I forget I forget exactly how much they were, but they were all less than 100 bucks each. And they're they're probably uh, you know they're probably over a hundred bucks now. So I, I imagine they're certainly over a hundred bucks now with how um, his season has gone and how his card prices have driven up. But you may be able to find second year cards of him or some other uh, variants of his cards that um, still fall within that range. So um, it just depends on your strategy. But I, I think there's a lot of different ways you could invest fifty to a hundred dollars and, and probably do quite well. Yeah, I think the biggest problem when you're starting out um, is the shiny new coin. And every single week or two weeks, there's a new product or something that's coming out. And you go, oh, I got to get it. Oh, I got to buy this. I want to buy that. And you don't have the money. It, it would be impossible um, to if you're starting off and you have, you know, I, I don't think that, I think that's a normal 50 to to $100, $100 to $150 to start off with. Um, which which um, cards are you sticking with? Prism? Are you going with Optic? I don't think NT, you know, ain't touching. Um, are there some other cards that you're looking at brands from Panini? Yeah, so I always recommend to people that they invest in the most common popular brands because those are the ones that are most likely to retain their value over time and are going to be easiest to sell. Um, the kind of the, you know, uh, and, and so... First of all, Prism, obviously, um, super well-known. Optic falls into that category. So if we're specifically talking basketball, I would say Prism, Optic, Contenders. And then on the higher end, I would say Immaculate. I would say, um, obviously, National Treasures. Uh, but obviously, that's you know quite expensive. Uh, and Select would be the other one that I would put in, into kind of the more mid-tier there. Um, and you know, I, I would concentrate on those sets. I think that... If you go kind of for an offshoot set like Chronicles or Encased or some of these other sets that get made every year, um, those sets may not be made in three or four or five years. So when you go to sell your, you know, 2019 Chronicles Zion Williamson in 2029, uh, Panini may have dropped Chronicles as a card line, and so then it's 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 gonna not maybe quite garner the same level of interest as if you know you own the prism and prism as a brand is still going really strong in 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 2029 i mean it's the re it's the same reason if you look back to like 2000 you know 13 2014 2012 prism from those years uh is very much sought after um because people collect prism today so they know the brand name and so then they go back and they, and so like Giannis's prism rookie for example has really elevated. Um, and, and I think it's partially as a result of just that association with uh, the cards that people collect today. Yeah, that's what I started to do. I started to go back. I was looking at 2012, looking for Prism base because I couldn't get no silver. The silvers are just too expensive. So I I was able to pick up Damian Lillard before he bounced, but I wish I would have bought a lot more of them. And I think that's where people need to I always say in the, on my podcast, like, go the opposite direction. If everyone's going for Zion and Ja, look for someone else. I'm sure there's somebody that is being undervalued, that's undervalued right now that you'd be able to pick up on a good price, maybe a different year. You know, it, right now, everyone should be buying football cards, you know, to be honest with you. I'm, I, football cards, I have a love-hate relationship. I used to collect football cards, but 
for me now, it just seems like it's just about the quarterback. And I hate the fact that it's just basically one position that you really, that you can invest in. Um, unless you think something different, do you think there's other, you know, wide receiver or something that you can invest no. in? No, not really. No. I mean, I know people got excited this year about, uh, you know, like AJ Brown of the Titans and DK Metcalf, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I, I would I would stay away from those guys. I I mean even they'd have to really become an all time great wide receiver to really hold the value long term. I mean even even guys you know like uh, AJ Green or someone like that who's been a great receiver like their values aren't that impressive. So it's it's really just the quarterbacks in football. So I agree it's hard, football investing is is difficult from that standpoint um, it, because there's just a lot less opportunity i mean you're pretty much chasing a handful of quarterbacks and that's basically what you're going to be you know what you want um i will say i i had quite a bit of success this last year on one of my shows the first week of the football season i said hey guys i think your best investment right now uh, i did a show called like 10 cards under 10 dollars, and i picked 10 backup quarterbacks and my the first guy i picked in the show was mason rudolph and the second guy i picked was Teddy Bridgewater, yeah. um, and I said, hey, because their cards were going for like zero, and I said, hey guys, I said, you know, Mason Rudolph is backing up Big Ben, Big Ben's older, I don't know how many years he's got left, he could be prone, he's prone to injury, Mason Rudolph may end up starting this year, Teddy Bridgewater is backing up Drew Brees, Drew, B- Drew Brees has not been as injury prone, but he is older, he's turning 40, um, so I said, I think it is reasonable to pick up Teddy Bridgewater. And so I went, I went on down the list. Um, and sure enough, <laughs> um, you know, I also said, uh, pick up Kyle Allen of the Panthers. Uh, cause I said, you know, it's possible Cam Newton could go down. Um, so it's just like, it was, it was just kind of one guy after another and they all were fa- fabulous investments for under $10 because all of those guys saw their cards go up significantly once they got the starting jobs. Now you needed to sell out of them because, you know, Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater did wonderfully, but obviously Mason Rudolph had some struggles and Kyle Allen had some struggles. And so um, it would have been, they would have been good cards to flip over the course of the season. Um, But, um, but yeah, you know, I think that's maybe where your kind of more creative opportunity in football is from an investment standpoint. So you're cheering for injuries. So as soon as you hear someone like you hear a crack, you just, yes, I told you, I knew it. Yes. Sadly, yes. Sadly, yes. It's the sweet sound of money. <laughs> That's real nice. No, I and I saw that episode and um, it was, it was, you had good timing. That was a good, that was good timing on, on that show. Because um, I think it was both, right? Mason and Bridgewater, yep. same exact week. Um, yeah, and I literally put the show out the week prior to that happening. So, well, you know, obviously I got lucky. I mean, I, I didn't have a premonition that they were going to get injured that week. Um, but I think the general pre- the general premise was good, right? Premonitions. Yeah. The sports card investor. Um, all right. Now, you don't talk that much about baseball um, investing. Um, I don't know if that's because you're just not into it as much as basketball. I know football you like as well. Um, are, are you into it? Do you like baseball cards? Is this stuff that you, are you buying baseball cards? I am. I like baseball cards. I think baseball cards make good investment. I do think that there are a lot of people who are into baseball card investing and there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of good young you know, players right now. 
Um, I, uh, honestly, I hadn't, I, I focused more on basketball because that's where, first of all, there is the most hunger for basketball right now. I yeah. do think basketball cards are the best long-term investment. And honestly, it was what I knew the best coming into the hobby. And I, I knew basketball, I knew basketball and football really well. And I didn't know baseball as well. I just wasn't as big of a fan of the sport. And so as such, I wasn't up to speed on all of the hot young prospects. Um, but that said, um, I've gotten quite into it and I've gotten excited about some of the guys this year. And I'm in fact about to drop an episode uh, tomorrow, which probably by the time you post this will have already been you know, put out um, where I'm gonna say that I think uh, Jordan Alvarez is a really good investment right now. His prices have actually come down in the last few weeks. And he is a guy who obviously had a tremendous end to the year last year when he was called up to the majors for the Astros and uh, ended up, of course, winning rookie of the year. Uh, and yet his card prices, they're not they're not where they should be, in my opinion. There's been you know so much attention paid to guys like Acuna and obviously Trout. Everyone still chases Trout, all, you know, after all these years. Um, but, you know, a guy like him, uh, you know, he can be, he can be a good investment. Yeah, I. I actually, I'm going to disagree with you, respectfully disagree with you, because I, I think baseball, it's just, it seems like there's a lot more players that you can invest in. There's a bigger pool. And I think that's basically driven by um, Bowman prospects and people who are prospecting. And you'll pay crazy amounts of money for, and, and maybe that's it's overvalued. And maybe it's more of um, a gamble because most of these guys aren't even in majors and their cards will be worth thousands of dollars. So, you know, you're, they're basically pulling data from minor leagues and trying to be, you know, want to be GMs and trying to extrapolate. Well, you know, basically, I think these guys are going to be major league, you know, greats. They're going to be as good as Mike Trout. So I might as well spend as much yeah. as you know, they're going to be. Like the, there's a, the Lewis Roberts, who is a prospect for the White Sox. I think his one of one went for $50,000. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he might make it, but he might just be a 25, 30 home run outfielder. And he's just regular Mr. Roberts and mm -hmm. nobody really cares about him. And, and, and it wouldn't be bad. He'd be a good player, but um, it, it's gambling. So I, but I also do think there's just a bigger pool of people that, you know, that are playing baseball, and so you'll be able to invest it. Um, I, 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 that's just where I, I go with that. I, 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 yes, prospecting in baseball is definitely, it's the wild, wild west a little bit for sure. I mean, you've really, you, you definitely are rolling the dice. Um, you're definitely taking a chance, um, but it's, it's, it, it's fun. I can see why people do it. I can see why people like it, um, you know, certainly. And, um, yeah, it, it's baseball has a ton of sets, just like basketball. Panini is really. What do you think about Panini? Well, I'm gonna sorry, I'm gonna switch weirds a little bit because what do you think about the the, the Dutch auction, or as I like to call it, Dutch oven auction? Do you think that works out well? Do you like it? Yes or no? Um, I think it's smart of Panini to go direct to consumer for their first off the line product. I think it is a better format generally than how they used to just put all the product up at one moment and then their website would, you know, horrendously crash and no one could get it and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I don't think it's very collector friendly from the standpoint of how they do the Dutch auction. I mean, I, you know, when the, I, I hate that 
a whole bunch of people overpay. I hate that um, a lot of people walk away from that. I mean, what they're basically doing is the way they've got it set up is about probably about 90% of the people in the, in the Dutch auction are going to walk away feeling like they got screwed because it's going to end up for selling for less than what they bought their stuff for. And that's really no way to treat your customers to have a business where a large majority of your customers walk away from a transaction with your business feeling like they got screwed because somebody got a discount that someone got it for less. Someone got it for less than they what got what they got it for. Um, and uh you know, so that I mean that that part of it I think is unfortunate. The way that uh, StockX and Tops did the Tops uh, Bowman Chrome X Dutch auction uh, was a lot different in that you could put in whatever bid you wanted, but then they took the they took whatever the lowest winning bid was, and then everybody just had to pay that price, the price of the lowest winning bid. So nobody felt screwed. In fact. 99% of the people felt like they got a bargain because they would have been willing to pay for more than what it sold for, um, you know, and they only had to pay a lower amount, uh, you know, because they would have put in their bid for a higher amount, but then only had to pay what the lowest bid winning bid was. So I think that's a lot more collector friendly way of doing it. I'm sure Panini likes, you know, the money of the way that of the way that they're doing it. So I guess they're going to continue to do it Sorry. that way. Yeah, they want to make some bank. Yeah, that's the two things that bother me is is that and they don't put the odds on their cards. I think that is just, it, it, it's, it's, I, I don't know why they don't do it. I, I think guess maybe they're trying to be, you know, I don't know. I don't even know why. I don't think it's to screw the collectors. And I think that'd be silly. I just, I think it's more transparency is better. I mean, you know, tops, you know, Hey, it's one out of a hundred packs. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. Um, but with Panini, it just seems like they're always doing, being a little shady at times, which I don't, which uh, even like uh, today, they, they changed the price on the um, select, um, the football cards. It went from 150 to 225 and they added five packs of stickers, like stuff like that just bothers me to me, but it could be so much better. The cards look amazing. They look really nice. And uh, I don't know, that's just made up. Yeah, I do feel like Panini does a good job with the design of their cards. I, I agree on some of the business practices, not, not the biggest fan of some of that stuff. Um, I wish they would be a little bit more, you know, collector friendly when it comes to some of those business practices. Yeah, you're very more professional than me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they stink. No, they don't. They don't think it's just. It, it's just annoying. That, that's that's really what it is. And I lost my train of thought. I had an awesome question, and I completely forgot. Oh, blockchain. What do you think about blockchain cards from Panini? So I think the idea of of having digital cards is compelling because I think, you know, with a lot of the new folks coming into the market that are in it for more of the flipping, um, it will be interesting to see if we ever get to a point in time when people are flipping digital, like if the physical version of the card doesn't matter. Because obviously the physical version of the card slows down the your ability to sell it it slows down the transactional ability to move the card around because you always got you got shipping you got and then the condition of it can affect the price and all that kind of stuff so i mean if it was a digital asset then it could be moved back and forth in real time it could be the condition is always the same so i mean there's there's obviously some um attractiveness to that but the uh, so I, I, I kind of think maybe that's where Panini was going with this a little bit, but, but the thing they did was they also then associated a physical card 
with the blockchain entry, which was kind of strange. And they did it because I think they were they were worried that not a lot enough people would buy just a digital blockchain version, which could be true. Um, you know, I, I don't know that everyone's ready for that yet. Um, and so, so as a result of that, and you know, it, I don't, I don't think it's going to really have that same type of effect. It's certainly not going to have like a real time marketplace flipping type effect. And also because these are all one of ones and they're all very expensive. Um, you know, what, what would have been interesting to me is if they had done like a Luka Doncic blockchain where they were going to release 10,000 at a dollar each and you know people could buy them and then there was a real-time trading platform where you could go buy them and then instantly you know put them up for resale and trade and see if they could get a um uh, you know a uh yeah exactly it'd be, it'd be interesting to see to see if they were able to to do that yeah i i don't know I don't think because people like to see the cards, feel the cards, smell the cards. I got my little, I have a little green room where I keep all my cards, and I, I like to, I play with them. I say, let me leave me alone. Let me just play with my cards. I go down there, and and that's that. And if it was all digital, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I think the flipping aspect I agree with. I think it, it's better because like Com C has has something like that where you can basically you can buy a card and then just flip it. And just sell it right then and there, and, and you never have the physical card. You don't need to get the physical card and then resend it in. So I, I do like that aspect, but I do I do like the fact that if I want to have that physical card, I can get it. And maybe that's just me, and that's just something that you know eventually um, will be broken. Just like you know, ordering stuff online, where everyone said, "No way, no one's going to order stuff online. Everyone's going to go to retail store always." And, uh, you know, it just changes. Um, all right. Um, final thoughts. Final thoughts is the hobby is hot. The hobby is, is you know, remains hot. And, uh, you know, people ask, do I think there's going to be, you know, a pullback? Is this a bubble? Is this a junk wax era? Uh, that type of thing. And my answer is not right now. Because I there's, there's, first of all, it's not a junk wax era because the production numbers, while they're certainly up and while... There's absolutely more cards being printed this year than last year and the year before and the year before that. Um, there are still way, 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 way less cards than were printed back in the you know late 80s and early 90s. So we're not in a true junk wax era by any means. I mean, if we were, it would be easy to walk into any store and find Prism on the shelf. But it is impossible to find Prism on the shelf. So therefore, it tells you right there that demand is far exceeding supply for all of the major releases this year. So I'm not concerned about that. What I what I you know what I am concerned about is with all these folks flooding into the hobby, how long are they going to stick around? Are they going to kind of get disinterested and move on from it a few years from now? Possibly. Um, but I think at the moment uh, things are strong and at the moment and I think that things will continue to be strong for the next couple of years because there's enough people continuing to come in. Um, and there's enough interest and excitement around it that is going to keep it strong. Hopefully it'll be strong for the long, long term. But I, I think I think we've got a, at least a few years here of uh, this continuing to be a really uh, cool marketplace to be part of. Yeah, I think definitely Zion and, and Ja really helped that propel. I think basketball is really leading the, the card industry, getting back into it. A lot of people like old, old school people like me, like baseball, the younger crowd, 
likes basketball. And it's just like the convergence of old people. I'm calling myself, I'm 38, but older people getting back into it and getting their kids back into it. And they're going, yeah, I like the baseball cards. That's great. But I want to get basketball because that's, I, I think it's the more popular sport. Now. Yeah. So definitely. I mean, definitely. They're not making, I mean, as you could tell, you could buy any 89, 90, you know, tops cards. It's still today. You can go on any marketplace and some old lady has a box of those cards. That you yeah, can they do. They still got them. So, you know, there's no way they're making them to that point. I think where it's getting into the, where they're saying junk, I, I do think the autographs, autographs on cards, like base cards and things like that. I think that is being devalued a little bit because there's just so many autographs now. But I think that's more towards baseball than it is for basketball and football. Um, with regards to the junk wax, I, I think that's where, if they're going to say anything, I think that is where, where it's going to be. Right. Awesome. I had a really good time talking to you. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's been a good conversation and I hope your listeners got some value out of it. And yeah, it's been great, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. Hopefully you got a lot of value. Hopefully you live, you learn, you love, you know, good times, memories. Yeah. It's just an interview about cardboard. But hopefully you liked it. You loved it. Please share. Please tell people. And don't talk bad about me. It really hurts my feelings. <laughs> SVACardCollectors.com. Also download the Flick Chat app. And you guys know what to do. Buy some cards and go broke. Later.